0: Welcome to City Talks by Ford, conversations with experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today, and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions.
1: Hi there, and welcome back to City Talks by Ford, conversations with the experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today, and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions. I'm your host, Andrew Winston, advisor, speaker, and co-author of the book, Net Positive. Today, we explore a topic that gets to the heart of this podcast, solving the critical issue of delivery logistics in cities with a human-centered approach. Electric cargo bikes are a nimble, safe, and highly effective form of mobility being rolled out in cities around the world. Joining me to discuss the implications and impacts of this new technology is CEO and founder of Coaster Cycles, Ben Morris. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for joining us. Morning. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Well, it's good to have you here. I mean, we're going to jump into all you're doing around cargo and e-bikes and hear about coaster cycles. But I want to understand a little bit about your background. I know that you were in the Navy and did sea lift command. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of how you got into the logistics world. It sounds like you came by it honestly in, in the U.S. military. What was your background?
0: Kind of <laughs> a bit of a I, that that was actually done through a co-op when I was at school in Boston. So I was I was doing one of my co-ops with the military, actually a finance major, finance and marketing. But it was my experience in San Diego co-oping at the Navy that actually kind of got me into the three wheeled space. There is some parallel, but it's not a direct correlation to the Navy.
1: So you were like ROTC, you were doing it as part time. Yeah, well, kind of. It was a six-month internship through Northeastern. I mean, how did you get interested in like, just the logistics world?
0: What brought you to it? Well, I've been in the three-wheeled space for the past 17 years. We sort of went through a big pivot about two years ago as we started the evolution and the shift of moving people to moving packages and goods. So I've always sort of been in the logistics, just moved from carrying people to carrying goods. And that's been a, a more recent endeavor for us.
1: Talk about the three-wheeled space, what, what falls into that? I mean, what are people using three wheels for?
0: Sure. So as most pedicabs, right? So passenger version, go to point A to point B. That, that's really how our business started. I did that out of college and started in Boston. And that evolved into multiple cities around the country and evolved into a media company that was selling ads in it. And we sort of hit a point where we weren't happy with the product and we decided to be more vertically integrated and go out and manufacture at the time what we thought was a better product first pedicab and passenger version. So our roots are sort of in the operations and in taking people around. And we sort of utilize that expertise to make this move and this transformation into rethinking how we manufacture and how we engineer to go take packages for city delivery.
1: So were you actually driving pedicabs? Did you get on the streets and do it yourself? I
0: did. Yeah. The first, uh, I would say the first two years I rode every day. And uh, I was in great shape. Yeah, I would think that's got to be intense. Every dollar I made went back
1: into the company at
0: that point, you know,
1: riding the bike. I mean, I picture the kind of thing you're describing in foreign cities more, not as much in the U.S. Can you give us a sense, like, how big a business is this? How, How much is the pedicab business, you know, expanding in the U.S.? How many cities have... Decent
0: fleets of that. Well, now, today, not many. This is one of the reasons for our sort of strategic pivot. We were in this long before there was mobility, micromobility, ride share, scooters, e-bikes, bike share systems. And so, as all that started proliferating over the years, it really had an impact on the pedicab business. And so, we said look, in our world and in our view, we move exponentially more goods each year than we do people. So let's go focus on that. So our team right now is looking more at how are we helping companies, public and private organizations go and look at how they evaluate moving goods and freight and grocery and, and alcohol and the likes in cities. So today and present day, we only have pedicab operations in Boston and San Francisco. And we think that's going to slowly you know, move out of our, it has moved out of our core focus in business right now.
1: Yeah, I know that the history starts with a a ride around Fenway Park. What was that story? What kind of kicked this off for you?
0: Well, that was actually my first ride, right? So I was, um, you know, we're down on Newberry Street and, you know, took the ride down there and got paid $20 to do that. I was still in college at the time. <laughs> that was 10 minutes of work. And I said, wow, this is pretty amazing, right? Like, what can this be? That's really what kicked that off and sort of growing our team and our footprint around the country and really sort of our focus and vision on looking at how people and how goods can move differently in cities. Around the country. Maybe describe
1: a little bit the the kind of your business model. Like, what's a typical delivery? Are you working for the companies that are delivering? Are you working for the customer? Like, who's your real customer in this? And what's the technology you're using to kind of connect? goods and people?
0: So present day, it's much different than what I sort of described around Fenway and around people. We made that pivot towards manufacturing, as I alluded to. We do that in the US, right? So that in its own right makes us unique and different in the bike or three-wheeled space being a manufacturer in the US. We do that in Montana, just outside of Missoula. And so we have sort of the innate ability to do you know, rapid prototyping, rapid innovation to basically support a B2B customer base, which is what we do right now. So we tend to fly a bit under the radar because we're not making a consumer-based product right now. And so that enabled us to go and say, build something solid, build something robust, build something a commercial grade for delivery. And so historically, this has worked at a traditional sort of direct sales model. So United States Postal Service, FedEx, a university buys our equipment and goes and puts it out for their particular use case, depending on what they want to use it for. Where we're evolving right now is to go more towards a complete system. And so our team really, and this will be launched this year, is building out an end-to-end proprietary solution that's going to take a more data and analytical approach around what our customers actually need. So that's customers in last mile logistics, and rapid grocery delivery, and mail delivery, and alcohol delivery and help them look and analyze the exact asset and modality breakdown they need. Do you need two-wheeled? Do you need three-wheeled? Three-wheeled and trailer? Four-wheeled? And be able to help engage on that front to go put the proper asset mix. Because right now, as we've learned with many of our customers, it's extremely challenging for them to go and operationalize the actual delivery right beyond getting the asset itself and the trike. So, what does battery charging look like? What does real estate look like? What is insurance and risk management? What is training and onboarding drivers? Things of that nature. We're building out that ecosystem for them.
1: So you're a manufacturer and providing the systems, the tech and kind of operational systems for whatever a client needs. You're not actually operating the drivers, right? You're not, you're not doing the, the deliveries.
0: Correct. There's a portion of our company that we probably will to some extent. But yeah, most of our focus around is getting the actual asset built and designed and then building out sort of this proprietary system for them to go operationalize the delivery, whatever it might be. And it's pretty broad right now in terms of the industries and verticals we work in.
1: Yeah. So what describe what what need are you feeling? What are these bikes maybe replacing or, or filling a new need that maybe nobody was filling? What What
0: are they kind of doing in the world? Yeah, look, there's there's a lot of data that we're seeing in pilots us internal pilots and external pilots that are showing you know efficiencies of bikes and trikes in terms of how they compare to a traditional van delivery model and the data is super compelling i mean we're seeing a significant reduction stem times we're seeing obviously there's a there's a real tco analysis when you look at the cost to operate a bike or a trike versus a van electric or non-electric and just you know greater efficiency in terms of how they can deliver so that's sort of the implied part along with obviously the environmental impact for cities the congestion and challenges that exist, curb space problems. And that's more of the straightforward stuff. It's really the backend operational stuff that we are, you know, that we're starting to see the bikes and trikes really come in and help improve that. And so our team's, you know, working hard on that day in and day out to go help evaluate that for companies.
1: Is this effective business more? Does, do you need a certain amount of density? Is this really a city business or is there kind of a suburban play as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the natural start is in cities, but we think there is suburban could be like pretty pretty broadly defined, but like there's plenty of like tier two or maybe tier three cities, you know, away from sort of the traditional top 25 DMAs that we might think about where we think this use case can work because the vans and the trucks still stop at many of the same addresses going down the street. So we do think there is going to be an evolution to get out of your sort of big New York cities and Chicago's and LA's that we think about first towards some of these smaller cities.
1: I mean, what's the real benefit from the perspective of a delivery company to, to use these bikes versus vans is it the ability to kind of get into different spaces quicker or get closer to the door is that that final 50 feet kind of thing because it's a smaller vehicle what does it say for i mean because it seems like right you can only carry so much on a bike versus a van so what's kind of the efficiency play here
0: And I'm glad you mentioned the final 50 feet, right? I think people tend to get stuck on the last mile. And and the last mile is, is being used, I think, a little too broadly right now. But where the major pain point exists is really in that last 50 feet. And so obviously, we recognize and we acknowledge that a trike is not going to carry the same sort of capacity as a van. But when you start looking out at a broader sort of ecosystem, so think something that involves real estate, and or cross-stocking or micro-fulfillment options in cities, this gives a bike or a trike the ability to constantly reload goods and work within the density in the area in which they're working in. Going back to some of the data, like we are seeing bikes and trikes can work more efficiently than vans can in that really last mile or last 50 feet delivery when you start looking at some of the costs to do that and the challenges that exist. and that, And that's really where we're working to go and build out and help them do that beyond just the trike or the bike itself, the asset itself. You threw out some terms, you said micro delivery, I think. What does that mean? For folks that follow the space, right? There's been long, lots of discussion around micro fulfillment, nano fulfillment, dark stores, cross docking. right? So getting the goods, ultimately, what everybody's saying is getting the goods closer to the end customer. What we're building out right now is the mechanism that enables the goods to get closer to customers through an array and a network of of real estate facilities and cities all across the country so think now you have a physical location that is storing those goods there and when an order comes in we have the technology and the data to go and actually analyze that order to determine what sort of vehicle modality it can go out at how you batch those orders together to maximize delivery efficiencies and then go and actually route that order for the customer. And so, you know, again you're taking those goods, you're getting them closer into the city where those where that customer might be, and in some cases you're altogether removing your traditional, you know, van or truck out of the mix and you can do this exclusively through a bike, a trike, a trike and trailer and a walker system in densely populated areas.
1: Yeah, so you've talked a little bit, you've mentioned some congestion, some of the challenges cities face. What are they facing with the current paradigms on delivering? What What are cities kind of facing and how do the e-bikes and scooters, three wheels, how do they factor into solving some of those problems?
0: The, The overarching problem is that we all are buying more things online and we're buying bigger things online. And there's an expectation that we have to get those things faster. And so when you take that downstream and into the cities... It's everything. It's congestion, it's traffic, it's noise pollution, it's curb management, it's parking tickets, it's it's fatalities, it's, I mean, and 20 other things too, right? And the reality is, is a lot of those exact delivery functions can happen on a two or three wheel bike. You go into a city and you see vans sit on a corner and unload all their goods onto the street and they go out and walk it, right? And like the van just sits there and gets parking tickets. So there's no real efficiency in that. And I think it's just, if you think about the traditional carrier network, especially some of the old school carriers, this is a big mind shift for them and really challenging and a a lot more challenging than I think what's sort of public knowledge and what's talked about, about how you get and break down freight into smaller modalities in which it can get cross docked and moved on. And we're slowly starting to see it, you know, but it's taken a long time to get there.
1: I mean, as you said, with the volume that's increased so dramatically, especially with the pandemic, and we've all experienced there's a big Amazon or UPS truck just sitting in the way, right? Blocking a street. This seems like it's a pretty good solution for that, right? You're not blocking as much traffic. You're creating a little more flow through, right? I mean, we, we've been talking to people in this series, a kind of mix of people like yourself, entrepreneurs and, and tech experts, and then DOT people, people working in the cities trying to manage these these issues, And I've gotten to know some of these acronyms like PUDO and, you know, pick up and drop off and curb. And what do you see kind of happening with the management of curbs? It's something, honestly, I hadn't thought about before we started this series and just how much is happening at the curb front in cities. You know, where, where do you see that going? And, you know, what do you think needs to happen to make them flow better?
0: Well, I think... <laughs> very different perspective between the public sector and private sector. Although I will say, look, New York City, in my opinion, is being one of the most proactive, and they have to be, right? Because it's, it's, it's one of the cities facing the most challenges. And, and they've come out and said, DOT's come out and said, look, bikes or trikes can utilize any loading zone areas, just like a truck can, any yellow loading zones. Small in nature, but actually pretty important. They're going and saying, look, over the next three years, they want to designate 1500 zones potentially where trucks can come in and cross-stock freight off of the trucks into smaller modalities, right? That's a big thing. One of the unique things about our modality, in particular, is that it's small and it's nimble, right? And so we're not getting on the public right away, you know, i.e. the curb. We're staying out in bike lanes. We're staying in traditional vehicular traffic lanes, and we're able to go into these loading zones and some of these like smaller spaces where you can't get a sort of traditional vehicle into. Mm-hmm. And that works to our advantage, and certainly helps us go out and achieve this operationally. But there's going to be a lot of discussion, and there's a lot of opportunity opportunity you know, and, and technology opportunity to go look at how we th- rethink the curb. And we're just in the infancy stage of that. And I think that's really going to change and modify over the coming you know, two, three, four years.
1: I mean, we, we, as we've talked to other people, there's clearly been a movement in, in cities to remove some lanes or dedicate them in different ways. Is that promising for you? Do you see like delivery lanes coming up or, you know, car-free lanes that maybe are, are really made for bikes and delivery bikes? Is that the future that you think cities need?
0: Well, you see that in Europe. You know, you, you see, yeah. and I've heard all different names for them, like call it a mobility lane, a bike lane, a whatever you want to call it, right? The truth is, is or car-free you know streets, you know, that sparked one of our initial opportunities with the Postal Service when they said, look at Market Street in San Francisco, how do we go make deliveries on a street where you can't run vehicles down it? It's where we had a carrier tell us, look, my operator on Market Street's getting $4,500 in parking tickets every single month. Like there's got to be a better way to do that. I think we could get there, but I don't think what we're doing, success in what we're doing won't be predicated based on a city's ability to make a mobility lane or not make a mobility lane. It certainly will help it, but I don't think it's going to be imperative to like make us successful in what we're doing.
1: So you have to be able to work with whatever they're throwing at you or whatever's possible, whatever's happening. I mean, is, is it true? I mean, I, I believe that Europe, there's a lot more kind of e-cargo delivery bikes. There's a much you know, bigger commitment to this stuff and that there's even concerns about overcrowding in bike lanes in, in those cities. Is that something you're seeing in Europe? And how do we kind of get US cities prepared for this transition and avoiding those kinds of problems?
0: Well, one of the things I talk about pretty regularly is everything we've talked about in this conversation is not new. Right. It is happening in scale right now in Europe and countries all across the world. So this isn't revolutionary. What's going to be revolutionary is the way we think about it and the way we approach it. That's really, you know, where, where our focus has been. A lot of that is sort of a paradigm shift from the, from both the public and private sector, but the consumers themselves, themselves. They are accustomed to taking bikes and trikes and moving around cities and, you know, geography and topography plays a large part of that too. You know, Their infrastructure is very different than ours in the US. And so it's more conducive for that. I don't see an imminent case in which we're looking at overcrowding in, in bike lanes here in the US. I mean, I think we have a lot more time and work that has to be done before we get to that place. But I am optimistic that we do start working towards there. Yeah.
1: You said you've, you've rolled this out in kind of two Pretty big cities, a little bit different, San Francisco and Boston. I mean, has anything surprised you about how customers are using this, the kinds of things they're delivering with it? What, what have you learned as you've rolled this
0: out? I still have bikes in Boston and San Francisco. We, we're doing the trike delivery, pedicabs in Boston and San Francisco. Trike delivery is happening in a number of cities around the country, big and small, actually. Our sort of early finding was that companies in general are sort of underestimating the challenges to operationalize that, right? And we say that really broadly, like finding drivers, training drivers, battery charging. You read a lot about risk management and safety in dense cities. New York City's had like a hundred lithium ion battery fires in the last year. What does storage look like? How do you get storage and accessible storage in real estate? And so that tends to be what we see. The equipment itself is working. I mean, we are seeing efficiencies and, and route optimization and lower cost of deliveries, more stops per hour, reduced stem time, all the sort of metrics and data you're looking for. And it varies by industry, right? Like we have our product delivering mail, it's delivering alcohol, it's delivering package and parcel, we're doing rapid grocery delivery, and all of those industries have their unique challenges. And so it's just a function of adapting to that. It's interesting, if you look at rapid grocery delivery in particular, it's one of the industries that we're actually ahead of the technology many of those companies are having difficulty batching orders. They can't go and say, these orders are going to this area. Let's put these seven orders together instead of this one order together and go out and make that delivery. That creates a ton of cost, ton of complexity, and a ton of inefficiencies in the actual delivery when you're going out and delivering one thing at a time. So we see that as a major opportunity. We see as that technology advances, our modality, which is better suited for bigger, bulkier items, is going to be well suited to help them do those deliveries more more effectively and more cost efficiently
1: I know in the in the delivery space in the truck world for years they've been using kind of smarter and smarter routing technology using GPS I use a story all the time in my talks and writing about not taking left turns you know UPS started doing that years and years ago yeah are you guys seeing kind of interesting routing that you're able to do it seems like you're more flexible right in moving around cities I mean I suppose a bike can go against a one-way street if it's on a sidewalk I mean there's lots of things that can probably do that are different what do you find in kind of the routing world?
0: Thankfully, we stay a bit out of the routing space. And again, it, it depends on my industry. All, all the industries are doing their routing a bit differently with their plethora of companies currently out there that are doing routing and doing routing really well. And so for us, it's just a mechanism that sort of injects into our ecosystem to kind of power that delivery. But at, at this point right now, it's not something that we're looking to do internally, only just given the resources and, and sort of the options you know that are out there. But I will say, Routing is different, right? So this is case in point. We're looking at working on a project in Medellin in Colombia and you have to look at topography. So like, or Seattle, you know, so when you have a lot of hills. That's where routing becomes more relevant to what we're looking for. So placing routes in areas where it's conducive for a bike or a trike based on like, are they going to be going up really steep hills? Are they going to be going down really steep hills? And is it safe to stop and things of that nature? And and that's where we sort of look at routing right now as it sort of pertains to our business. That's interesting.
1: So, I mean, there's there's a very cool set of Differences and options for this—that the variability you have or the flexibility you have—is is pretty wild. What's the kind of footprint of this? Have you guys done some analysis, some, you know, carbon comparisons, life cycle of a delivery?
0: What's the story that you can tell on that? Yeah, it's most of the fleet operators have come out publicly saying that we have to go convert to a completely zero emission fleet by X date, right? All, all of them. This obviously our modality plays, you know, really well into that. And if you look at the TCO analysis we do, you know, with our trike with an electric battery versus your traditional, you know, ice vehicle, obviously the numbers are very compelling, right? And we can run that significant, you know, efficiencies and carbon reductions. It's interesting now, while that was really relevant, I would say three, four, five years ago, most of our conversations with these companies, this is, I guess pressure from the world, but like we we don't have that conversation, I would say, as actively as we previously did. Cause I think I think companies are saying, like, we have to do this. Like this is part of who we are and what we need to be. And it's not, I would say, leading the conversation or the strategy for them where three or four years ago it was like, look, we have to improve our our carbon footprint and our emissions. And I think that's a really positive step forward. And I think it bodes well towards overall focus on E everything, you know, two, three, and four wheels. And so that's exciting for me to see.
1: No, that's true. I think, I mean, the commitments now from almost every major auto company in the world is to be out of internal combustion engines in the next 10 to 20 years. FedEx, as you say, they've committed to pretty much zero 2030, 2040, maybe. You know, they've kind of set these similar goals. One last thing I want to ask you that's kind of interesting is you based manufacturing, you said in Montana, right? You're kind of a U.S. manufacturer. How'd you think about that? Because clearly there's manufacturing options abroad that are likely cheaper or generally are. What was kind of your thinking on on being a U.S. manufacturer?
0: Well, we looked at it. We did sort of an analysis to say, you know, what does it look like building overseas and what does it look like building here? You know, we don't talk about it enough because I would say it's probably our strongest competitive advantage right now in this space. You know, there's a lot of conversation around onshoring domestic manufacturing, manufacturing Look, you can't go a single day without reading challenges that exist in the supply chain across every industry and vertical about shipping containers sitting, docking out at sea for 60 days. I mean, it is very real and it has a massive downstream effect, you know, all the way down to the customer. And I think I, I mentioned this earlier when we started in our space, in particular in the B2B space. It is a very evolutionary process to get to what they actually want and need, because this is a completely nuanced market. And so what we can do in our shop and our team up in Montana, we do at a very accelerated rate. So I'll give one example of that. We had a customer that said, we want to try to do a trailer that we hook up to our bike. So to just increase capacity and efficiency. And so... From when they told us that, it took exactly 10 days to go and have our engineers draw it, to get the material, cut, weld, powder coat, hook it up, and go show to our customer. And so, when you start looking at Asia or some of these other countries, like you can't even move stuff on a boat right now and Forty-five days, let alone the back and forth, and so, and we still in our business, it's still the bike business, right? So we still rely on componentry and stuff coming from overseas, but the core part of our manufacturing and assembly does happen here, and it has been, you know, it's really important. And I think companies now are starting to recognize that for all all types of manufacturing, and we bring them out and we show them what we can do, and that that's really worked our advantage.
1: Yeah, it's really part of the full story of a product or a service now is where are you making it, who's making it, or What are their wages like? What's the footprint? All of it. I think that's part of what, you know, being a company today is to understand and be able to tell your customers and consumers how everything's done and who's involved. So our final question is kind of lightning round. We just ask you to kind of think ahead 20 years. If you're looking out the window, you're in a city. What do you hope to see? What do you expect to see?
0: I think, you know, kind of going back to what I spoke earlier on, I think we're going to see a massive shift to getting goods much closer to customers. It's going to be a wide variety of goods and it's going to be a wide variety of modalities that are going to be moving it so we talked a lot about trikes and bikes today but it's going to be robots and it's going to be drones and it's going to be autonomous vehicles and it's going to be you know a very multi-modality approach i think it's going to be a mostly all-electric approach in asset mix and I think cities will look different from that perspective. And I think as consumers, we're going to continue to drive that based on, based on our needs and wants. And we're going to have the ability to get goods faster, cheaper, and more environmentally friendly. And what we're doing at Coaster is going to be one part of that ecosystem, not the only part of that ecosystem, but we think we have the right opportunity and the right strategy around building that infrastructure out for customers across a variety of industries today and, and beyond.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm a believer. It sounds like a good vision. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much to Ben for joining us today and giving us a sneak peek at what seems like an inevitable and beneficial shift in how our cities approach delivery. Thanks also to you for listening. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't already, and leave a review if you've enjoyed the conversation. I'm Andrew Winston, and thanks again for listening to City Talks by Ford.